and we're starting a brand new uh, Bible study, of course, on Wednesday nights. We have a different emphasis each uh, Wednesday, uh, prayer, outreach, discipleship, and then study, and this being the uh, fourth Wednesday night, we're looking at study, and we're going to begin a study tonight on the book of Nehemiah. And uh, I'm also going to be recording these, so if you miss a session, we'll try to have them up with the other sermons online. You can go back and catch up, and then sometimes people can't be in here because they might be working somewhere else. Uh, they can catch up as well. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, if you'll find your spot there, and we'll be reading there in just a few minutes. Nehemiah chapter 1. You know, we're living in a day when it seems to be a dearth of godly leadership, or even moral leadership for that case. It's not uncommon for us on a daily basis to open the newspaper or to watch the evening news and see another report of a moral failure or a scandal or an adulterous relationship or illegal activities reported about people who've been trusted with leadership responsibilities. It seems that the news and media are just glutton with such things. And the sad thing is it's taking place in the government. It's taking place in the private sector. It's taking place in the church. And it's also taking place in the home. Now, it's important for us to remember as we come to the book of Nehemiah and we start thinking about leadership and all the principles here, that all of us are a leader, are a leader in some way, shape, or form. Uh, it may be an official vocational position. You might be a supervisor. You might be above some people. It might be in the form of fatherhood or motherhood, or you might be a grandparent. It might be that you're a church officer here. It may be that you're in a club or you're in a volunteer charity and you have a role of leadership. It may be that you're in a group somewhere, and it's just a group of folks together, but Nobody says it, but you're kind of the leader of that group. You kind of provide leadership, and you probably probably give direction there. You're the real leader. Well, if so, we need to know how we are to lead. We need to know what God wants us to do in leadership. We need to know how God views us in, in leadership. And tonight I want to introduce Nehemiah to you. And uh, the book of Nehemiah, uh, it, 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 he's someone that sets a leadership example for every single one of us. He was quite a man. It's a very practical book. In fact, it hits us right where we live. Gene Getz, in his book on Nehemiah called Becoming a Disciplined Leader, here's what he wrote about it. Listen. He said, Nehemiah's experience touches all of us, whether we are a husband, father, pastor, CEO, president, supervisor, or director. Now, listen. He models how to pray when there seems to be no human solution to our problems. How to blend human and divine factors when facing incredible predicaments. How to keep God's sovereign control over the universe and our own human responsibility and proper balance. How to plan our work and work our plan. And at the same time, rely on God as our divine resource. How to handle discouragement in ourselves and others. How to set goals and achieve them when everything around us seems to be falling apart. How to motivate others when morale is at an all-time low. How to cope with anger and other negative emotions. How to accept promotion and success without abusing or misusing our privileges. How to respond to those who make false accusations against us and malign our motives. How to help others develop God's perspective on life. And how to face and solve some of the toughest problems we will ever face. Now let me ask you something. Did any of those things hit you where you live? Did they kind of pique an interest in you? As you'll soon see, Nehemiah... Though an ordinary man was an effective leader, in fact, he was an extraordinary leader. 
Now, before we dive right into the very first chapter of Nehemiah we're going to cover tonight, we have to take a few minutes to get our bearings and see where we are, where the children of Israel are, and, and what's going on in the history of that nation at this time. I want to read a quick summation here from Cyril Barber's book on Nehemiah called Nehemiah and the Dynamics of Effective Leadership. Listen to what he says. He said, the Hebrew people had once been a powerful force in the Near East, but the kingdom which David established split in two. If you remember, the ten northern tribes banded together into one kingdom, and the two southern tribes joined forces to form another. And from this time onward, their fortunes were mixed and idolatry prevailed. Ultimately, in 722 B.C., God punished the northern tribes by allowing the Assyrians to overrun them. They were taken captive, they were deported, and resettled among other nations. Only Judah survived. The southern tribes, however, failed to learn from Israel's example, and as a result, they too were taken captive and deported, this time by the Babylonians. You know, we think about the book of Daniel. We think about Daniel and his friends taken uh, captive. And during the 70 years the Jews spent in captivity, the power of Babylon was broken by the combined forces of the Medes and Persians. Remember studying sometime in, in days gone by the book of Daniel and you, you saw that uh, great statue that uh, Nebuchadnezzar set up and there had the head of gold and it had the different elements all the way down. It was the different world kingdoms. The Babylonian kingdom, of course, was that golden head. Then you had the Medes and Persians and on down through. Well, under this new administration, King Cyrus gave permission for them to return to Palestine and rebuild the temple. And that takes place in Ezra chapter 1. Now remember, Ezra and Nehemiah, you have to take those books together. In fact, I understand from study today that many, many, for many years, these two books were combined and they were kept together. So keep that in mind. You have that um, very first permission they're given to rebuild the temple. And the first exiles returned under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. And he led the first return uh, out of captivity. At that time, the foundation of the temple was laid. But the work was opposed by the Samaritans to the north, and more than 15 years passed before the temple was completed. Now, later on, there was a second group that returned out of captivity. They were led by a man named Ezra. You read about that in Ezra chapter 7 through 10. On Ezra's arrival in, in Palestine, he found the people to be in a deplorable condition, spiritually and morally. He therefore began a widespread teaching ministry, and as we shall see, the teaching of the law would bear fruit 14 years later. And we'll see that in Nehemiah chapter 8 through 10. And then finally, during the reign of Artaxerxes I, Nehemiah returned to Judah. And we're going to see exactly what Nehemiah was involved in. So kind of get that picture in your mind. That's a lot to process. But kind of get at this. There's three returns. They're in captivity. They've been taken captive. The first return is under Zerubbabel. And that was the rebuilding of the temple. And then, interestingly enough, in between that first return and that second return is where the events of the book of Esther take place. And that wonderful story of God's providence. Then you have a second return, and that was under the man named Ezra. And the emphasis there was spiritual renewal and separation of the people. Then the third return, later on, is under a man named, we're going to study, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah dealt with rebuilding the walls of the city as well as reviving the people. Now, it's important for you to know that, for you to fully understand what's going on here in the book of Nehemiah. 
to understand exactly what's taking place here, where we are, and what's being uh, what's been going on. Now that you have that, let me give you a two-point simple outline to kind of tuck away. Don't tuck it too far back. I want you to bring it back up again. But two simple points on the whole book of Nehemiah. Very simple. Six words for you to think through the book, okay? This is out of Wearsby's Expository Outlines of the Old Testament. Number one, repairing the walls, chapters one through six. Repairing the walls, chapters one through six. And number two, reviving the people, chapters seven through 13. That's very broad. We could break it up and have all kinds. Your study Bible probably has an outline. Uh, most Bibles have an, an outline, but that's a very simple definite, or outline for you to keep in your mind. Repairing the walls, chapters 1 through 6, and reviving the people, chapters 7 through 13. Do we all know where we are now? You say you have it read Old Baptist Church. No. Do we all know where we are in the book of Nehemiah? You've had two returns, and Nehemiah will lead a third return. And the emphasis on rebuilding the walls and reviving the people. Now that we know that, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, and we'll begin reading there beginning at verse 1. We're going to study through the entire chapter here uh, here in Nehemiah chapter 1. I'll begin reading at verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open. Thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee. And have not kept the, the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out of the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. If you're like me, beloved, it will not take you long to become impressed with this man named Nehemiah. Let's talk about, first of all, that he was comfortable. He was comfortable. Look back at verse 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And we don't really know a lot about Nehemiah. We know that his dad's name was Hakaliah. That's, that's quite a name, isn't it? Uh, we know, we're told that Nehemiah, his name means the Lord comforts. But I want you to notice where Nehemiah is when this is written. 
It says there in verse 1, It came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace. He's in the palace, also known as Susa. Now, scholars tell us that Shushan and Susa was the capital of the Persian Empire, and because of the warmer client, the rulers spent the winter months there. And it also says that it was the month Chislu. Now, you've looked in your calendar lately. You probably haven't seen that one. Well, it kind of lines up with our late November and early December. And then it says it was the 20th year. And we think, well, what is he talking about there? What's the idea of the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes I? Now, Artaxerxes I reigned from, anybody remember? That was just a joke. From 465 to 423 B.C. So this would have taken place about 445 B.C., I think well before anybody in here was around. Now, what was Nehemiah doing in the palace? What was he doing in Susa or or Shushan, the palace? We have to go to the very last verse of that chapter to find out. The very last words written in that first chapter are these words. I was the king's cupbearer. The king's cupbearer. Now, that's more, beloved, than just being a butler or a waiter. Maybe in your mind you think, well, he just kind of, you know, served things. Listen, that position was a most important one. In fact, it was one that required trust. It it required upright character. It required honesty. You see, Nehemiah was the one who would taste of the wine and the food of the king before getting it to the king. Now, think about your history why would it be necessary for someone to, to sample uh, food and wine and things for a king? So he could die first. <laughs> exactly. So he could die first because the king was a marked man. Now, we see that throughout history. Uh, we know there are those who want to do away with the ruler, who want to take his place or see somebody else go in their place. And so the cupbearer would partake of the wine and the food, and, and it would see, you know, is everything fine before presenting it to the king? Uh, we also understand here that this person, if you will, he literally held the king's life in his hand, didn't he? I mean, if he had been a dishonest person, a deceitful person, imagine what could have happened. But because of this position, Nehemiah would have been with the king often and in very close uh, quarters. Uh, he would have been closer to him than many people would ever dream about. Uh, he would get to hang around the elite of society. He'd get to rub shoulders with the who's who of society. He was a personal friend and servant of the king. He was comfortable. Uh, it seems likewise that um, many times these cupbearers would be trusted advisors because there they are. They're there a lot, and they've become uh, very reliable, and the king would maybe talk with them and get counsel from them. Now, how would you like a job sitting around getting to eat the finest of foods and drink the finest of beverages. And that, that's your job. You're there with the elite, the who's who, and that, that's your job. I sometimes wonder, you ever seen Bob Garner? He's on uh, PBS a lot. You know, he goes around eats at the barbecue house. How do I get his job? <laughs> but then again, I, I dare not covet because it would be a very good job for the waistline. My wife reminded me. But listen, Nehemiah had it good. He had it good. He was comfortable, very comfortable. Now, think about yourself for a moment. I know we have people in here from all different stages of life. We have people in here in different economic classes, different circumstances. Some perhaps are really struggling. Uh, Some are doing fairly well. But as you assess your circumstances tonight, where you live, what you have, could you honestly say, would you have to say that you're comfortable? That is, you have plenty to eat. You have a roof over your head. You have clothes to wear, you have 
clean water to drink. Praise God. Some of us went without water for quite a while lately. Um, you have some of the wants that you, you dreamed of having in life. Not all of them, but some of them. You, you'd have to say, you know what? If I'm honest, I'm comfortable. I, I'm blessed. I know I have to say that. Why does it take us going, coming to the point we watch um, these Haitian people on TV and see the devastation for us to realize we're really blessed? Why does it take these traumatic events for us to open our eyes to just how blessed we are? I'm blessed. I praise God for that. I'm sure many of you would say, you know what? I, I'm blessed. Now, here's the danger. When we get in those comfortable spots, sometimes we have a hard time moving out of what's been called our comfort zone. Perhaps you ever looked it up in a dictionary, but I did today. You kind of know what a comfort zone is. But here's what it is. A noun, psychology, a, a situation or position in which a person feels secure, comfortable, and in control. A comfort zone. A place where you feel secure, a place where you feel comfortable, a place that's familiar, a place where your needs are met, a place where you like being. Now, Nehemiah, in all honesty, he ran a couple of risks. Number one, he ran the risk of being killed by food poisoning. And secondly, I would say he ran the risk, think about kings, he ran the risk of being killed because he displeased the king. So those are true, legitimate risks that he had. But he was still comfortable. Uh, he had... A wonderful position. He had a powerful position, if you will. I think we could say he was in somewhat of a comfort zone in a way, in the sense of where he lived. You know, in that place, we have a really hard time seeing other people and seeing their needs and their problems. Why? Because we're comfortable. We, we have what we need. Uh, all is fine with me and mine. You know, that's kind of a motto we might take. And we say, you know what? Everything's fine with us, and, and I'm comfortable, and Nehemiah was comfortable. But here's what I want you to see tonight, and I want you to learn this lesson from Nehemiah. His comfort did not excuse him from caring. His comfort did not excuse him from caring. Look at verse 2. That Hanani, one of my brethren, and, and many scholars believe this was literally the brother of Nehemiah. We're not certain, but they believe it is. Came he and certain men of Judah. So they're coming along. And uh, Nehemiah asked them about the Jews that had returned and also about the city of Jerusalem itself. He says there in verse number two, I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped and, and were left to the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. Uh, here's Nehemiah. And I want you to notice, beloved, he cared. He was concerned. He was not self-centered. He was not self-consumed. He was an important man, but not too important. He was genuinely interested in how things were going. And here's another difference in Nehemiah. He was not like some leaders who say, you know, how are things going? And they really don't want an answer. They're just kind of making small talk or pleasantries. He took the time to listen to the answer he was given. And I want you to notice something. The answer that Hanani and these men gave him was that it was honest and it was horrible. It was honest and horrible. Things were not good. Notice what they say there beginning in verse 3. They said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Here's what they said. Listen, the people are in great affliction and reproach. In other words, they're in misery. It has also the idea of being slandered. Even anti-Semitism going on there. Uh, we understand as well concerning the city, the walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. 
Specifically, if you turn to chapter 5, we learn about some of the things these people were going through. Look at chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. Wait a minute, what's going on here? For there were that said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards and houses. Why? To to get a new luxury car? No. To get an education? No. That we might buy corn because of the dearth. Look at verse four. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren. Notice this. Our children as their children. And look at this. We bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them for other men have our lands and vineyards. Talk about a horrible, terrible situation. They're struggling along there. Literally, their children in bondage because of the dearth of the land. And then we know it says there back in chapter one that the walls are broken down and the gates burn with fire. And that may not seem like a lot to us. But listen, a city without its walls was defenseless. It was open to the enemy's attacks It could not literally defend itself. There was no security. Now, Nehemiah is there. He's a comfortable fellow. He's got this great position in King Artaxerxes' court. He's got it made. He's got a few risks. Yes, but I mean, man, he's got nice clothes. He's got food. He's got these things. And he says, hey, guys, how are things going with the Jews? And how are things going in Jerusalem? And they said, listen, Nehemiah, it's horrible. It's horrible. The people are in terrible shape. The walls are broken down. The gates are burning fire. Now, how did Nehemiah respond? He said, oh, man, that's too bad. Now, my thoughts and prayers are with those people. Let's go get a bite to eat. Is that what he did? No. You see, his comfort did not excuse him from caring. And I want you to notice, thirdly, his comfort did not excuse him from crying. Look at verse number four. And it came to pass when I heard these words... Nehemiah speaking here. Here's what he did. I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, listen, the report that he heard about his brethren, the Jews and about the walls of Jerusalem affected him. Physically and emotionally, he sat down and wept and mourned. He fasted and prayed. Now, listen, we see the heart of Nehemiah here. It's a heart of compassion, a heart that really cared. He cared about others. He cared about these people. He cared about the city. The question tonight is, do we care? Do we really care? Do you really care about the needs of others? Do you really care about all those around us, men and women, boys and girls, that are dying and going to a devil's hell? Do we really care that there are those who are hungry and thirsty and cold and naked and suffering and dying? Do we really care that there are brothers and sisters in Christ tonight that are being tortured and are suffering and even being put to death because they love Jesus like we love Jesus? Do we really care? Do we have compassion? Do we watch the scenes around us? Do we watch the news and see these things? And do we go about life like nothing has happened? Nothing impacts us. Have we become so cold, so heartless, so comfortable 
that we live and are not even moved emotionally. Now, listen, I know we cannot do everything. We cannot meet every need. No one in this room can. Our church can't meet every need. There are a multitude of needs. If you're like me, you get mail from different organizations, different ministries. All of them are pleading for help, pleading for financial help. Can't send everybody. Can't give to everybody. Can't work everywhere. We can't meet every need. We need discernment. We need the leading of God, the Holy Spirit in our life. We cannot do everything. Listen, that's not an excuse to do nothing. Because God has a plan for us. And God may call you to work in one certain area. He may call me to work in another area. He didn't call everybody around to go back and rebuild the walls. He called Nehemiah. He sent people to help him. But Nehemiah was the leader there. The question is this, though. Do I care? Am I available? Am I willing? Or am I too comfortable to move out? Do I dare shed a tear over somebody else and some other need? Nehemiah's comfort did not excuse him from caring or from crying, but it also did not excuse him from praying. Because look at verse 5. We just read there in verse 4, it says he mourned and then he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And he begins to share with us his prayer. Now, he was very, very faithful in praying. Uh, Listen, you're going to learn really quickly in our study that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Somebody figure this up. Of the 406 verses in this book, prayers fill up 46 of those verses, or 11% of the book. History accounts for 146, or 36%, and the various lists you find add up to 214 verses, or 53% of the total. So 11% of the book itself is taken up with praying and prayers. And you're going to see that Nehemiah was quite a prayer warrior. When Nehemiah heard about the circumstances, heard about what was going on, who did he turn to? He turned to God. He turned to the one that could help. He turned to Jehovah. Now, when you and I have a problem, and we talked about it recently on a Sunday morning, people have problems. We all have problems. Nobody's come up and argued with me about that yet. Because it's true. We all have some problems. Some have great problems. Some have some minor problems. We all have problems. When we have a problem, let's be honest for a moment. Let's be genuine. Let's be transparent. What do we do when we have a problem? Okay, that's one part. We complain. But we, we set about to do what? We try to figure out on our own what to do. We try to figure out what should we do. Now, if we get really desperate, I mean, really desperate now, and we can't figure it out on our own, we go and we seek out the help of an expert. You know what an expert is, right? Now, some are literal experts, and there might be degreed or professional people, but an expert be anyone, someone who is at least more advanced than I am. They know a little bit more about it than I do. They're an expert. Now, don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with using our God-given brain. God gave it to us. We should be using it. We don't use enough of it. We ought to be using our brains and, and try to do that. There's nothing wrong with getting counsel. In fact, God's Word encourages that. Let me, let me caution you to get wise biblical counsel. Don't just get counsel from anybody. Get wise biblical counsel. But why don't we go to the Lord first? What do we do? We say, well, i got this problem. Man, I, what can we do? And we try to figure it out. Say, I can't figure it out. i got a buddy at work. I, maybe I can ask him about it. I can ask her about it. And I ask them about it. Oh, I don't know. Well, I'll call the preacher. Maybe the preacher knows. Uh, no, he didn't help me either. Uh, 
I should pray about it. That's a little bit backwards, isn't it? Imagine if we were to turn that around and say, you know what, when I've got a problem, whether I can figure it out on my own or not, or I can figure it out with a little bit of help, listen, let's go to the Lord first. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says this. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If any of you like wisdom, you ever been there? I have. Like wisdom. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. God says in his word, listen, if you need wisdom, ask me. Come to me. And so we should go to the Lord. So what does Nehemiah do? He prays about it. And I want to encourage you to take your problems, your concerns, your troubles, your needs, your questions, your heartaches to the Lord. He says what? Casting all your care upon me, for I care for you. Charles Stanley said it this way. Fight all your battles on your knees and you win every time. Fight all your battles on your knees and you win every time. If you're going to be a godly, effective leader in whatever realm it is, in your home, uh, in, in, a, in a career, whatever it may be, a Sunday school class, you must pray. Now think about it. Nehemiah, think about his position. He's with an earthly king every day. I mean, he's right there with him. I mean, he gets to take his cup and give it to him. He gets to give his food to him. He has the ear of the king every day. But before he goes and speaks to Artaxerxes, he goes and speaks to the king. He goes and speaks to Jehovah. Cyril Barber said the self-sufficient do not pray. They merely talk to themselves. The self-satisfied will not pray. They have no knowledge of their need. And the self-righteous cannot pray, for they have no basis on which to approach God. Now, I want you to absorb that a minute. Let me say it again. The self-sufficient do not pray. They merely talk to themselves. The self-satisfied will not pray. They have no knowledge of their need. And the self-righteous cannot pray. They have no basis on which to approach God. Let me ask you, don't answer aloud, but do you pray? Do you take those problems and burdens to the Lord? Nehemiah sets the example for us, and it's quite an example. And the prayer he gives in verses 5 through 11 is well worth our effort tonight to go through. And I want to go through it with you. We're going to take it verse by verse. And so let's begin there in verse 5. It says there that he said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. I want you to notice that Nehemiah's prayer began with adoration. He begins by focusing upon God, upon Jehovah, upon the Lord. He calls him the Lord God of heaven. He calls him the great God. He calls him the terrible, the awesome God. He mentions him being the covenant-keeping God. He mentions that he's the merciful God. He keeps covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Listen, the greater God becomes in your life, the smaller your problems will become. Think about that for a moment. We face things in our lives that seem insurmountable. We face challenges and problems. It, it may be a wayward child. It may be a job situation. It may be a personal relationship conflict. Whatever it is. We face some hard things in this life. It may be a sickness, an illness. But beloved, when you begin to bring that problem to God... And you spend a moment focusing on just how great God is. It brings that problem into perspective. 
It brings that problem down inside. Yes, it's still an awesome problem to us, but that, wait a minute. We begin to realize, wait a minute, to God, this is nothing. I'm not saying he doesn't care, but he's the all-powerful God. Jehovah, the mighty, awesome God. The one that can turn the king's heart. The one that created all of us by speaking the words. The one who loves us and sent Christ to die for us. And I begin to realize he cares. Cast all your care upon me. He knows what I'm going through. He knows that I'm hurting. He knows that I'm struggling. But when I begin to look at my problem in light of my great God, it takes on a whole new perspective. And Nehemiah begins here by adoring God and focusing on God. And then he moves from adoration to confession. Look at verse 6. Here's what he says to the Lord. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. Notice Nehemiah doesn't run into the throne room of God demanding an answer. God, you hear me, you answer me. He says, listen, please hear your servant. Please hear this prayer. Please listen to the words. He calls himself a servant. He puts himself in a right relationship to the Lord in his perspective here. I'm your servant. Notice what it says in the middle of that verse, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. Now, stop right there. He's confessing the sin of the people of Israel, but keep reading. Which we, do you notice that? Which we have sinned against thee. And then to make it even more clear, both I and my father's house have sinned. Do you notice that what he does here is he prays a prayer for the sins of Israel, but he includes himself and his father's house in that prayer of confession. He doesn't separate himself. He puts himself right in there with him. Well, let's think about it for a moment. Number one, why were the children of Israel taken into captivity to start with? Because they sinned to disobey God. We'll see later on in this prayer. They were brought back and they're, they're becoming a uh, afflict, afflicted people and all these things. And he, he begins to pray and ask God's forgiveness for these things. He includes himself. Look at verse 7. He continues. We have dealt very corruptly against thee. And have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Here's what he's saying. All the blame lies at our feet. Not the Lord's. Not the Lord's. He's perfect. He changes not. Listen, if you're away from the Lord tonight, if your heart is cold, if you're backslidden, God didn't move. You moved. You moved away from Him. He's perfect. He's centered. He is perfect, almighty God. They had a knowledge of God's commands. They knew about the commands of Moses. Yet they willfully chose to disobey. And then notice what happens next. Verse 8. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying... If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. Now listen. In verse number 8, he reminds the Lord about his own word. Now that tells us something else about Nehemiah. He uses scriptural knowledge in his praying. That tells us that Nehemiah was a man of the word. He knew his Bible. He, he, what part he had of it. He knew the commands of God. He knew uh, the writings of the Lord. He knew God's word. And he says, Lord, you've said in your own word these things. He continues there. Uh, verses, uh, verse 9. 
Oh, let's, let's pick up verse 8. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. That's what had happened in the captivity. He had scattered them for their disobedience. What he's saying here is not a direct quote per se. He's actually summarizing teachings from the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he's putting a summary here. Look at verse number 9. But if ye turn unto me, if ye repent... And keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather thee from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. We've already seen that taking place, right? We've already seen him. He sent back the first group out of captivity. He sent back the second group out of captivity. He's about ready to send Nehemiah in that third group to rebuild the wall. The temple's been rebuilt. The wall needs to be rebuilt. The people need to be revived and reestablished. He brings the word of God before God and says, Lord, here's your word. And he prays the word. Those of you who have been with us on some Wednesday nights, we've done that. We've taken the passage of scripture. We prayed the very words of God to him. What a powerful thing that is. And he moves on now in verse 10 and he reminds the Lord of their relationship with him. Now, these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. He reminds the Lord, he says, Lord, remember your special relationship that you have with us. You redeemed us. We belong to you. We're your servants. We're your people. Can you hear the passion in Nehemiah's voice as he cries out to God, as he pours out his heart to God, as he's burdened, he's broken? I mean, this man had sat down and wept and mourned and fasted because of the condition of the Jews. And also the city of Jerusalem. And then we get to a specific request beginning at verse 11. He says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant. And to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. Lord, we want to fear you. We want to honor your name. Here's my request. Prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. And grant him mercy in the sight of Of this man. He gets really specific and he talks about this man. Well, who is this man? Look at the next sentence. For I was the king's cupbearer. He's talking about the king, King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah, beloved, wanted to be part of the answer to his own prayer. What do you mean? Well, John Maxwell said this. If we're growing... We're always going to be out of our comfort zone. We talked about comfort zones. If we're growing, we're always going to be out of our comfort zone. We're always going to be stretched and be growing. And Nehemiah is growing and Nehemiah is being stretched here. What's he saying? He's saying, I want to be part of the solution to the problem. I don't want to just pray about it. I don't want to just think about it. I want to be part of the solution. What he's really asking for, we'll find out very soon in chapter 2, he's asking for the Lord to prosper him in King Artaxerxes' sight that King Artaxerxes would give Nehemiah a leave of absence to go and rebuild the walls. Now, notice this was not a one-time prayer. If you go back to verse number 1, Excuse me. Let's go back to verse number um, four. And it came to pass. Let's go back to verse one. He mentions the month Chislu. Okay. In the 20th year. Now, the month Chislu, remember, talks about November, December. And then it says in verse number four that he sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Drop down to verse number six. 
It says he prayed day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants. So we already understand that this is not a one-time prayer. It was not just a one-time, Lord, you know, please forgive us. We're sorry. Please heal us. He prayed day after day after day after day after day. And if you drop down to chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, so there you know specifically it's being talked about here, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. We'll talk about that later study. But notice what it says in the month Nisan. Well, that's equivalent to our March and April. In other words, four months had passed. Four months had passed from the time he heard about what's going on in Jerusalem to the time he's actually able to present his request to the king. Now, listen, if we're honest, we get disheartened if it's been four hours at times. We're doing really well if it's been four days <laughs> and we're still praying, right? And if we make it four weeks, boy, we must be super spiritual people. But here's Nehemiah, day after day, week after week, month after month, for four months, he cries out to the Lord. We see that Nehemiah was faithful in praying, though the prayer was not answered right away. Now, we're going to see, God willing, next month, we take this once a month to study how God answers the prayer, what happens in chapter 2, and you can read ahead, and you probably already have in days gone by. But, but here's the question tonight as we look at chapter 1. What do we do with all this tonight? What do we do with Nehemiah? What do we do with this story? What do we do with all that's gone on here? Do we say, well, you know, that's interesting. Man, that Nehemiah, he's quite a guy. God, God bless you, preacher. It's been a good night. I've learned a few things, and this has been wonderful. Thanks. And they go off separate ways. No. What do we do with it? Well, all around us, we see needs. Are we too comfortable to care? We need to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives to see if we're really, really willing to step out of our comfort zone and serve God. We need to come before the Lord and allow Him to search our hearts. And we need to confess our sins. The sins of commission, the things we've done wrong, and the sins of omission. And I think many times the sins of omission, the things we don't do, are greater in number than the things that we do commit. The things that God has told us to do that we do not do. We need to examine our prayer lives. Do we pray like this? In, in these tough situations, do we come before the Lord first and say, Oh God, the great God, I need you. You're, you're wonderful. You're merciful. And bring that request before Him and pray for His wisdom, His guidance, His intervention. And we need to examine our lives and say, wait a minute, am I self-centered? Am I self-consumed? Or am I Christ-centered and Christ-consumed? Really, we need to ask the question, are we godly leaders? In whatever realm of leadership you serve in, are we godly leaders? Are we available to be used as he sees fit? And I know in my own life, I need to look at this one. Perhaps you do as well. And that is, do we persevere in prayer? Or do we pray once and say, well, you know, what's the use? Or I prayed once about that. Praise God. And I just, you know, whatever. Or do we keep on asking and keep on knocking and keep on seeking until the answer comes? Nehemiah is quite a fellow. The account that we have before us is quite an account. The prayer is an awesome prayer, a model prayer. And a lot of things to chew on tonight. I want to give a moment before we close in prayer. And my prayer is that God will have His will and His way in our lives tonight. But I want to just, just a moment for you to talk with the Lord. I don't know what He may have put His finger on in your life tonight as we looked at Nehemiah. 
But whatever it is, would you be submissive? Would you be yielded to Him? Would you be willing to pray tonight, God, search my heart? God, speak to my heart. If there's a need, if there's an area, if there's something you want me to do, would you show that to me? I, I want to be willing. I want to serve you. I want to, I want to serve your great name. I want to honor you. Look at my prayer life. Look at my, look at my comfort zone. Look at my life to see if I'm self-centered and self-consumed. Would you take a moment before we close in prayer tonight? Would you allow God the Holy Spirit just to speak to your heart right now? God, we thank you tonight that you are the awesome, merciful God. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for keeping us. Father, we've been challenged tonight by Nehemiah's life and testimony. I thank you, Lord, that he was willing to step out of his comfort zone and follow your will for his life. Father, I pray that we would do the same. That we would, be, we would truly be godly men and women. I thank you for allowing us the privilege of serving you. Lord, I thank you for the various areas of leadership that are represented in this room tonight. And I pray that each one of us would be godly leaders that truly honor you in each and every situation. Father, work in our lives. Bless the study as we look at it. Lord, help us to just be molded and changed to be made more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the kind attention that these folks have shown tonight. I thank you for the privilege you've given me to teach. And I pray that you'll bless us now as we go our separate ways. I pray that you'll be with the choir as they practice. You'll be with the boys and girls and teenagers we dismiss. I pray for the homes and families here in this church, in our community. Father, help us to be godly. Help us to honor the Lord Jesus. We pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen and amen.